Attention, attention. You are listening to a pre recorded episode of The Curious Realm. Curious Realm is busy traveling the vast void of time and space to find the best paradigm changing content the universe has to offer. Enjoy the following transmission and remember stay curious. Stay curious. Coming to you from the city of the weird. Exploring topics from the esoteric and unexplored to dimensions unknown. Shining a light of truth on the darkest corners of our reality. Welcome to the Curious Realm. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Curious Realm. I am presently on job site in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. We, as always, bring you nothing but brand new content on this show. Never replay, never, never best of material. Uh, even though our guest tonight is one of our best ofs, one of our best of guests, one of our best friends here on the show, the amazing Sev Talk author of The Right You Have to Talk to Aliens. She is also one of the heads of the MUFON Experiencer Resource Team and soon to be head of her home state there in North Carolina of MUFON. So welcome back to the show, Sev Talk. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be back. It is always lovely to chat with you, both on show and off show, Sev. And I could not... Could not be prouder of the fact that you have you have made your way to state director there with MUFON. Um, you know, one of one of the things that I hold in high regard about MUFON is that there there are a few people that get some pittance from MUFON. There's there's not anybody that's like getting Christmas bonuses from MUFON. Uh, I think I think Mr. McDonald, the the utter head of MUFON gets gets a stipend for taking care of things. And aside from that, it's, you know, um, some IT folks, some office folks. But all of you state directors, all of all of the field investigators, all of you at the ERT, this is a labor of love. This is a labor of what can we do to further the science and the cause of UFO UAP disclosure. And I have said for years since you first came on this show, Sev, that I do not think I could I could think of a better advocate for experiencers out there than you. Um, oh my goodness, thank you. You you have such an incredibly <laughs> large heart, such an incredible personality and and such a caring way about you when it comes to these things. Um and that's that's what I love talking with you about is the experience of being an experiencer because it's it's not easy. Um, uh, it, it's, it's funny because there's so many people in so many of the groups that I belong to, Sev, uh, talk about how they cannot wait until their experience, you know, um, and, and I am a big believer that every experience happens for a reason, um, good experience and bad experience in life. 
And, uh, but, but when it comes to paranormal experience, when it comes to UFO, UAP experience, especially that close, close experience like what you've had, I caveat people. Be, be careful what you wish for. Um, it, 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 because most of these experiences don't start off like a song. They start off like a Disney movie, which, you know, the first five minutes is normally pretty bad for somebody involved. Uh, it's, it's not normally a good experience for the character's parents or, you know, something like that. And, and that's how most of these experiences start off. Even your experience took you a long time to come to terms with, uh, and and that was a lifetime experience before the experience that um you were really consciously aware of so let's let's start really cracking the nut of what it is to a be a lifetime experiencer um mm-hmm. to be able to trace back the experience of alien contact to your youth and how that changes as you become an adult and and how it changes when you when you come to a conscious realization of of your actual experiences so my first conscious memory of et contact is from age 10 10 to 12 and uh this spaceship would come in the middle of the night. I'd find myself outside and it would come and I'd be really happy to see it. It was like I was being reunited with a family member. Mm. This uh, being would come out and uh, talk with me and make sure I'm okay. That experience was not scary. That experience was very loving. And every time I saw that ship, I was just so happy that it was coming. Uh, It isn't until I got older and uh, I started having contact with the greys that I started to get scared because the greys just, uh, they ha- they don't have a, a good uh, reputation. <laughs> and they, uh, I have learned, I was told that there are three different sizes of greys, tall, medium, and short. And the, the smallest ones, the ones that a lot of us have come in contact with, uh, are more robotic in nature. And mm. because of that, uh, they have less sentience. And so they're a little scarier because they feel like a robot and you don't feel like you're emotionally uh, connecting with them. And so that's why I was so afraid of them in the beginning. Uh, I was, well, afraid of them for decades, decades. And it wasn't until 2017 when I got those two red X marks on my back that were put by mm-hmm. the grays that I started to process my relationship with them and why am I in contact with them. And then I learned that they were helping me the whole time. <clears throat> they were not hurting me. Yeah. Wow. And and once again, that, that came to you through through a, a lot of help and, and through a lot of realization that, you know, you were, that you were personally viewing your experiences specifically with ETs through, through other filters of trauma in your life. No, oh, yes, absolutely. Through the filter of victimization. Mm-hmm. And so there is a direct correlation between spiritual expansion and understanding your ET contact. They're related. And just like you said earlier, we don't see a UFO by chance. We don't make ET contact by chance. There's a very, very good reason for it. Mm. So what I have decided to do is to help experiencers around the world. If you've made ET contact or if you're unsure uh, and you want to talk to about if you want to talk about it with someone, I'm offering that for you. Uh, I know what it's like to hide 
I know what it's like to try and ignore your ET contact. And all that does is negatively affect you. Uh, it affects your mind, your spirit, and your body. It also affects all areas of your life. As experiencers, we cannot pretend that it didn't happen. And we cannot, uh, we cannot really choose to ignore our reality because that lie, if you think you're just going to set that lie off, the lie of, oh, no, I'm not in contact. Oh, no, those are not ETs. Like, that's not really happening. If you set that off here, you're going to have to come back and revisit it if you want to find personal peace, if you want to find uh, fulfillment, and if you want to uh, really uh, engage in that really fantastic personal journey of uh, awakening uh, your um consciousness. Uh, and so it's, it's really impossible to, um, delve into your ET contact with, without it having a major, beautiful, beneficial mm. effect on your psyche and your spirit. Well, and that was quite a bit of what you got into recently with George Norrie. You had the opportunity to actively be on Gaia Network and talk with him about what it is to integrate these experiences into your life. And and that is that is a lot of what the work is with the experience or resource team is um very much very much akin to trauma counseling, you know, and and how do you how do you learn to it, it, it not necessarily see the experience as a trauma, uh, but but to see it as an experience and and what can you unwrap from it? Uh, what are what are some of the things that especially that you find with first time experiencers uh, that that they are experiencing that that they are going through? It's hard for experiencers to once again find their foothold in life sometimes, Sev. And that is a lot of what you spoke about recently with George Norrie on Gaia Network. It was the integration of these experiences into life. What, what are some of the things that first time experiencers come to the table with? Mm hmm. Uh, well, I was so honored to be on Beyond Belief with George Neri on Gaia oh, TV, sure. and, it's, and it's up if anyone wants to watch it. If you don't have a subscription to Gaia, you can get a free subscription for one week. And I suggest you do that because there's really wonderful shows on there. And the response from uh, George's show, Beyond Belief, has been tremendous. Uh, I've been helping experiencers around the world for five years, and I am now uh, at the point where I'm I'm receiving so many emails from so many experiencers that I've restructured uh, how I'm spending my time, Good. and I'm spending a lot more time helping experiencers around the world. So if anyone has made contact or think they've made contact, they're not sure, uh, please contact me, planetsev.com, and I can offer you a private consultation if you want, or we can just email back and forth. If you go to my website, uh, you'll see uh, all the choices there, and you can also email me, sev at planetsev.com. Uh, thank you for doing all that. So when I talk to an experiencer who has not processed what happened to them, often I'm the very, very first person that they're actually telling their entire story to. And it's quite an honor to hear this. Uh, there's a lot of fear. 
because they don't understand what they're in contact with. They're not, sometimes they're not 100% certain if what they're in contact with has their best interests at heart or not. So they're worried about their safety. Uh, Also, uh, the hardest part is not being able to talk about it with anybody uh, for fear that you're going to be criticized and ostracized and whatever reputation you had is going to be tarnished, whether it's between uh, family, friends, or even your career. That's really the hardest part. We have to talk about it to somebody. We just have to get it out. Uh, Not doing that and just letting it just fester inside of you is really the worst thing you can do. It's the worst thing you can do. These days, it's so easy to get help. You can come to me. You can go to uh, Facebook, uh, a variety of different Facebook uh, groups. There's so much help now that really wasn't even available just a few years ago. So I do suggest the most important thing is to face it and to come out to yourself. You don't have to come out, write a book. You don't have to be on TV, but you have to come out to yourself because this is the magic in living authentically. And you know what happens when we live authentically, as you do. Yeah, look what happens. You have a very fulfilling life. It's dynamic. It's exciting. You're happy. It's personal peace there. Yeah. And you can't have that if you have this huge lie that you're trying to hide. It's going to somehow erupt. Yeah. So let's not get it to the point where it erupts and causes a lot of drama and chaos. Go to somebody, come to me, go to somebody, go to MUFON and try and get some help. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And, uh, you know, it, 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 that is, that is the conversation that we hear more than, more than anything, Sev, is how hard it is to find somebody. Um, specifically the conversation that we have whenever we have folks like Michael J.S. Carter on, um, who, who come from an African American culture and background where this is, this is something that you really don't talk about. You know, um, much, much less if that experience happened to you, uh, when it happened to him, you know, back in the seventies, eighties, where it's like, what, what were you going to do? Find a pull tab at your local library or on the bulletin board at the post office? Like, have you been abducted? Come get help. There were places like MUFON, but that was, that was to make a report. Things like the ERT did not exist until Geez, even a even a couple years after you met people like Kathleen Martin, you know, started the ERT. Kathleen Martin started the ERT because she saw within MUFON that there was a void of experiencers who are reaching for interpersonal help for direct one on one help. So she created the ERT, which stands for Experiencer Resource Team. And I'm on the executive uh, committee. And uh, there was about 50 or 60 of us around the world. And we deal with the MUFON cases that are directly related to ET contact. If there's no ET contact, then we don't get the case. Then it just goes to a traditional FI. Uh, we're also looking for uh, ERT members. You have to be a field investigator first. But if anyone's interested in becoming a field investigator for MUFON, it is really a wonderful, fun thing to do. And then from there, you can go and um, apply uh, after you've been a FI for about a year and have had several cases under your belt. You can apply for the ERT uh, and uh, and see if uh, helping uh, contactees is something that you'd like to do. We're always looking for more people because there really aren't a lot of people that can do this kind of work. 
that can help experiencers. It's hard. It's hard, Sev. I mean, I mean, even the conversations that I have with experiencers, um, the, these experiences are gut wrenching sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. they they are the my favorite term and turn of phrase that I have heard was actually came from MUFON this last year in an interview, and I have I have lifted it and stolen it. Ontological shock. Yeah, uh, I the, think Earl Grey says that. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I call it a uh, existential crisis. Yeah, is what yeah. I call it. Uh, well, uh, well, it's because once once it happens, um, belief is no more. Be- belief means that you have faith in something. You know, um, like that, that that's for things that that can't be proven. You know, g- God requires faith. Um, the afterlife requires faith. Once you've had an experience and you have been taken into a craft and you have had marks put on your body, there ain't no faith that something happened to you. It happened. You Mm know, um, it is, it is now the fact of, you know, you don't, you don't believe that there's craft. You know, there's craft. Um, yeah, and then and, how do you try and live peacefully when the people around you don't know that reality? And, and, and when, you know the reality yeah. that the, the people you're closest to don't even know. It's just really hard to continue to connect uh, yeah. with people when we feel like we know a very important part of being human, being alive, knowing that we're not the only ones in the galaxy and we can't really talk about it or share that with anybody. And then what happens is our uh, many of us have even more of a desire to meet more ETs, to have more interactions with ETs. One thing I do in a private consultation is we uh, I allow you the space to tell me your ET contact experience. Mm-hmm. There's no judgment. And this is very private and personal. Uh, and uh, then we talk about uh, why this happened to you and what are you to learn from it and how can you, uh, how can you learn from the experience? Often there, there is information and messages mm. imparted to the experiencer. So what are these messages and how can you use them to make your life better? Not on your life, but the life of your friends and family too. And so how can you, um, integrate your ET contact to make your life better, to enhance your life, to actually align with your purpose of why you're on earth. Uh, and that's what I help people do in the, in the consultations. Um, something else that, uh, and a beginning experiencer, uh, often feels is just, uh, not only fear from the being that it came in contact with, uh, but fear from the government. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, Let, you're let's explore that. that for a minute, because, uh, you know, that um, I'm not going to say that there's a big misconception. There, there are numerous, numerous uh, instances out there of people getting visitations after after their experiences and 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 not just in the UFO realm. Sev, I mean, I mean, like in the realm of cryptozoology too, in the realm of paranormal experience, like, hey, I called somebody because my house is haunted, stuff like that. Like, it's it's strange how people end up on these government watch lists and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I can un- utterly understand how how that could be a reticent point for somebody and a and a true point of fear. 
you know, that that they they fear some kind of governmental repercussion for their own paranormal experience. Yeah, which is a shame, which is what I was afraid of. But that kind of heckling, I call it, mm. really doesn't happen as much as it used to to individual experiencers. Uh, have I been bothered? Yeah, I haven't had anyone knock on my door. But weird things have happened to my email. Someone was looking through my um, I remember that. Channel. I remember uh, our conversation about that, Sev. Phone, uh, phone doesn't work right sometimes. It's, and so, and I know the big names in the UFO world, I know that sometimes they get bothered and hassled too. Sure. Um, and so it happens, but it's not to the point where I would discourage anyone from coming out to themselves. Mm. Like, yeah important to come out to yourself if if this bothers you then don't come out to the world you don't have to but please come out to yourself um and uh the heckling by the government is happening less and less and less and less and less because there's more and more and more of us coming out like how many of us can they really bother yeah. uh because we're becoming this big mass movement and the more of us who do this the less we're going to be heckled and bothered well well and it's uh, that's that's a number one Absolutely. Uh, which which has been shown, um, especially since uh, the whistleblower testimonies and the, the hearings on Capitol Hill um, to the to the point that there is now a bill out to to stop the disclosure movement. <laughs> that was just put out that like, yeah. hey, 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 we're disclosing too much. We need to shut this process down. Like this quite was- literally that hit the news cycle about uh, three days ago um, mm. before mm-hmm. this recording, not before it's airing. <laughs> but but yeah. Um, and and even that would that was the whole topic of the 2022 symposium in Colorado was the media treatment of UFOs and UAPs. And that's one of the things I bring up on the show regularly is it's interesting to see that that quite literal pivot mark in the dirt where where they went from uncle chet's a weirdo for believing in ufos to uncle chet's ufo denying neighbors um you know like suddenly terms like ufo deniers started being used by the media and things like that where the year before if you came to them with a ufo report maybe there was a local special interest story in there, you know, and you'd hit maybe like a, a minute of coverage, but most of it was done like crazy man on third street says he saw a thing over his house. Did you see something? If so, call into the show and let us know, you know, give us your news tips. Like it was always a way to, to feed into the news tip cycle or something like that. It wasn't really a true part of the news cycle like it is now. You know, like now it is it is a full on conversation in the media. Oh, yes. Yeah, without a doubt. It's nothing new to have yeah. a UFO segment on the news anymore, which is crazy. If someone had said this to me three years ago, I, well, it would have been shocking. Well, you were uh, just on one to... for your local news, right? What? You were just on one for your local news. Didn't didn't My... they come and shoot one with you? Uh, I've been on the local news here a few times, okay. but I was just recently, there's an ABC TV program that just came to my house and okay. was here all day long. And that show is supposed to be airing in the middle of this month, actually, in the middle awesome. of this. 
I can't say what it is, the show yet. We'll find um, that. But I want to go back to something you had said Please. earlier about how Hollywood uh, handles uh, disclosure, which is they handle it in the worst possible way you could possibly handle it, which is through the lens of fear. Yeah. Uh, because that's what brings money. But uh, I'm really honored that I, I'm a founding member of a brand new group called the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Yep which is made up of uh, high-level Hollywood people and uh, UFO people. And together, we've come together to help uh, Hollywood tell the truth when it comes to disclosure. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is amazing. We had uh, we had we had Earl Grey on talking about this yes, not yeah, too long cool. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it, it, it's absolutely phenomenal to to see this and to see this kind of work happening because it is it is so entirely important uh to to as you said the oddly enough it seems like there was a unified uh front in Hollywood as far as what to present because it seemed like every single thing since the day the earth stood still uh just about is about the fear of aliens not about the the enlightenment anything like that even even the big talk at all of the at all of the uh hearings and panels on the hill are about the air supremacy of the united states and and the dangers presented to air traffic and and to prove that just the other week um there was an article about how a ufo was hovering over Air Force One at at LAX. When? This was quite literally, uh, I've got the USA Today article up. This was the De- December 22nd. UFO or balloon. Unidentified objects spotted over Air Force One may have simple explanation. Um, but that, that was all, all the news cycle for that day was talking about UFO over Air Force One, like you're not going to you're not going to get a bigger way to skew the paradigm of conversation than to say that there was something hovering over the most powerful man in the world's airplane (laughs) that has all kinds of countermeasures and all kinds of electronic measures and all kinds of like that thing is a flying fortress that could literally fly through a nuclear blast. And make it. (laughs) Like that thing can fly at the proximity of a nuclear blast and be okay with the countermeasures it has. Hmm. But they made it sound really scary that there was a UFO flying in proximity next to Air Force One over LAX and nobody was aware of it. You know, um, so, yeah, it's like the paradigm is still being pushed to fear because when once you say that, you know, our skies are unsafe, um, you can get all kinds of money released. You know, um, you you can get all kinds of funds released from from national coffers because, hey, we need to make sure to keep the airline traffic safe over America. Um, I posted just the other day. I'm pretty sure we're the ones junking up their airspace. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they got way better avoidance and collision systems than we do. You mm-hmm. know, um, so. I don't think they're necessarily the threat to the airspace. I think we are the threat to the airspace. We're the <laughs> ones with the junky planes that get in the way and cannot maneuver out of the way fast enough. Um, so yeah, 
but but that is the conversation is how how can how can we keep this fear motivated because because fear is where money comes from you know um that that's how we know to untie the purse strings of congress is is through fear so um trying trying to change that paradigm is is a beautiful thing that the hollywood disclosure alliance is working on um is is to try and change that message that that is pervasive through everything you know um and, and how do we cuz once you change what the media is saying you change the perception of the public mm-hmm. you know um and i i think that may have been some of the kerfuffle that happened whenever you know things like close encounters and stuff like that came out where it it really did verge on on almost documentary in in the way that some of these things are treated by the government and the way that some of these things especially at the time were being investigated you know even even the fact of the the scientist in the movie being based on the character or the character being based on Jacques Vallée in his work. Um, it, it was very much, uh, I think, a laying out of what was happening. So um, we are changing, and, and the view of things are changing. And it's great because it is bringing out more people like you, Sev, who are willing to come forward with their experience and share their experience to help other experiencers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, J. Allen Hynek uh, was very closely involved with Close Encounters. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where we get our Close Encounters of the first, second, third, fourth kind, all that from. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. I don't know what to say because. Well, which point to go to first. That's okay. That's my job is to direct you where to go, Seth. <laughs> That's my job as a host is to give you questions. Um, <laughs> so with, with that in mind, though, like when it comes to helping people, um, we, we talked about the initial people who come in scared, do not know what happened to them, do not know how to express it to family, to friends. What point do you typically see the pivot? At what point do you typically see somebody come to the point of acceptance of their experience and and have that willingness to come forward, to talk to family, to talk to friends, you know, because there there are numerous cases out there, something that we speak about regularly, the fact that these experiences tear families apart. They 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 tear relationships apart. They tear friendships apart. And well, and not yeah, because of what happened, but because of the lack of talking. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at what point do you see that change for people? That's different for everybody. Sure. Sometimes I can see a change just in the first phone call or the first mm-hmm. consultation with me. Uh, and sometimes it could take years. It really depends on the person and uh, how deeply they're willing to go and look at themselves internally, because this is a. Uh, you have to turn your eyes inward to understand ET contact. And a lot of people don't want to do that. 
but that's the reason it's happening to you. So you can turn your eyes inward. And so you can align with mm -hmm. your heart. And so you can live as a human in a happier state. So the information that we're getting from the ETs is to help us live as humans more connected, more loving and happier. This is all the information we're getting. And so in order to process that and integrate that, you have to do this uh, internal personal journey and, and look at yourself and look at why uh, negative things are happening or why mm -hmm. the quality of your life is not the way you want it to be. You created the quality of your life. We all create our reality. And we create this biosphere, energetic biosphere that we have around ourselves. We are, we're like architects of that. And that is what creates our reality. And it's all through the mind. And so these are, it's so multi-layered, so multi-layered from the first moment that you would um, maybe connect with me and we would start talking. And then uh, I may help you uh, realize some things you may not have realized before. Uh, I often suggest meditation for experiencers. Mm. Um, uh, sometimes experiencers want to, uh, make contact again and they want to nourish contact and I help them, uh, do that too. Uh, and, uh, basically I help the experiencer get rid of the fear and the confusion. There's always a little bit of confusion and there might be always a little bit of fear. But what sure. I'm doing is helping the experiencer so the fear and the confusion no longer uh, keeps them from propelling forward and, and creating a happy life, sure. creating happy yeah. relationships, because hiding this comes in between your relationships, too. It's just hard to be happy and fulfilled when you have a huge lie. Yeah. That is growing and growing and growing inside the, of you. The, yeah, that you're literally perpetuating on the daily if you aren't telling. So like it's it, 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 and granted. You know, like, I don't think anybody on the first date is is necessarily going to go into, like, personal abuses in their life, you know. Um, you know what someone but, just told me? That Coast to Coast, George Norris Coast to Coast, has a uh, dating app for people yes. who are into... Oh. Yes, they do. They have had that for, like, for at least a decade that I know of. Yeah, yeah. No, for for people, and it, it's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant idea because Sev, like, uh, you, you've met my wife. I'm, I'm a pretty fortunate man. I um, love, she's yeah. an amazing, amazing human being, and and to find somebody who understands this and what happens <laughs> in this head and why it happens is something special to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> um, much less, much less some of the ideas I can just lay out in casual conversation you know like the number of times i'm on the road and just quietly having my beer at the bar and somebody will go oh oh well you want to talk about that hey chris um and it's like they just pull me out of the corner and go here's somebody with this wild topic of conversation like, oh well you want to talk about alien abduction well all right um let's get into that real quick you know um like yeah, that, imagine that on a date, if that's not your topic of conversation, you know? So the idea that they built a community of people who are looking for soulmates that are interested in the same thing. That's a, that's a beautiful concept, you mm -hmm. know? Um, same thing as, you know, plenty of fish or any Christian dating, dating app. 
things like that, where you're you're trying to find somebody who who has the same core belief as you. And uh, um, spiritual beliefs are one thing when you when you get into this, it's a, it's a different story. And, and much, much like um, any relationship, you know, friendship, what have you. Uh, could be polarized. It could be, it could be just as polarized in the dating world once you find out, like, well, I mean, this guy was really, really great and we got along. And until he started talking about alien seeding and, and the idea of, you know, a alien program to bioengineer humanity, like that, that's, that's when we stopped going to Fuddruckers, um, on afternoons. <laughs> Like, I, I could see how that could be a sticking point for some people. Um, and yet still a beautiful conversation for, for other people, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and having that conversation is hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, trying to, trying to find a mate is hard enough. Trying to find somebody who can empathize with, with a thought form is different. And, and when you're trying to find, a way to express this thought form to people that may not be empathetic. It's hard. And that's what you're dealing with, with the ERT and with, with um, new experiencers is trying to get them accustomed to being able to share this incredible experience because it is an incredible experience. And it's something that given the opportunity can truly, truly be life changing. Uh, to the, to the, the, you're a prime example of that, Sev. Um, you, you weren't helping people in this kind of case. You were doing readings and things like that. Before, and I still do them. Stuff. I do, still, I still do. do purpose sessions. Sure. Uh, where inner, uh, it, it's interdimensional information that comes through and it's information that we all have access to. And what comes through for my client is their purpose and why they came and how they can manifest it. Yeah. Uh, what the best career paths are, uh, past life comes through that explains something that's going on now. And also a mental belief or two. We all yeah. have these mental paths patterns that really don't uh serve us well and so some of those come out in the session and uh sometimes my client knows about this negative belief pattern and sometimes they don't even know they have it yeah so we talk about that and how to eliminate it or maneuver around it and basically the sole purpose sessions uh are like a blueprint to help you align with your purpose to find fulfillment and personal peace. And so I'm still doing those. I do those via Zoom and I really enjoy doing those. Um, and so there it's interesting because I started off doing those. I've been doing those readings for 13 years. Yeah. Now the ET stuff just started happening in 2018. I really haven't. I've only been in the ET world for about five years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but now they're crossing. The, the spirit, my spiritual work and my ET work completely integrated crossing. They're, they're hand in hand with each other. Uh, that's like the big new forefront of ETs are the spiritual growth. That's the purpose of the ET contact is for spiritual growth. Well, and let's get into that real quick, because as you said, uh, we have you for about 15 minutes. As you said earlier, people receive messages. Now, granted, much like any afterlife contact, you know, uh, things like that. Not everybody comes back with the message. Not everybody comes back like with a, with a new mission in life. Um, 
Same thing with an ET experience. Not everybody has a telepathic message given to them. Uh, but Often. many, 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 many people do. And many, many Often. people it's come back. It's more than not. What's that? It's more than not. Really? Even if messages, you're safe. That's a telepathic okay. message. Oh, sure. Message. Sure. So most ET contactees do get some kind of message, even if it's you're going to be okay. It's all right. Uh, it's good to see you again. Oh, and it can go all the way to just this download of a lot of information, mm. scientific, spiritual, yeah. uh, the future fate of humanity, the hybridization program. There's lots of different things that we're given information about that the government is interested. And this is what MILAB is, military abductions. Uh, I do think that some of us are... Um, uh, our brains are being investigated. Our knowledge, what, what did the ETs tell us? What knowledge do we have? Yeah. I've been asked to share some of my knowledge before with military men. They seemed like military men. I don't know where I was or who they were. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they asked for scientific information. They also asked for psychic information. It's a debriefing. We get debriefed. Well, well, and that's just it, you know, like information. And if yeah. we don't want to give the information, they get really, really nasty. I I would imagine so, you know, and and that that is uh, like you said, one of the many concerns that many first time abductees have with sharing their story is is the fear of that. And that is that has been an ongoing uh, hypothesis for a long time is that many abduction cases may may very well be abduction in disguise uh in in order to okay uh, who knows right. are you talking about the dr stephen greer hypothesis that or he claims that there are human beings dressed up as ets and the government has or, these fake spaceships and they're bringing people on board and making them no, think that no there's that there's that but it's it's more the fact of using using bi-directional technology to kind of in a targeted individual kind of way um the same way that they are using random samples of the public to possibly test mind control devices, things like that, uh, weaponry that is used in the ways of Havana syndrome, that kind of stuff to psychically drive people. Okay, but I'd like to say something here. Please, please. Because I don't want to fall down this trap no. of fear and what the government Absolutely can be doing, not. putting ideas into our minds and all this kind of stuff controlling us. The most important thing, I believe, uh, when you have an incident or an experience, mm. Look at the quality of your life. So I have had experiences that have changed the quality of my life for the better. I'm a happier person. I'm much more fulfilled. It's just everything is better in my life since coming out and since uh, accepting and listening to the information that the ETs have given me as guidance, as my personal guidance. So because of that, I refuse to believe that I'm in contact with demons I refuse to believe yep. that I'm I'm in contact with negative things that want to hurt me because my life does not reflect that. If I was in truly in connection with demons, my life would reflect it. I would not be happy. I'd be having problem after problem after problem. I would not be flourishing. So it's important 
to look at your life. Your life is going to show you, it's going to reflect to you the type of interactions that you're having. Now, if the government is indeed staging abductions, they're not staging them to put beautiful spiritual messages into the experiencers' exactly. heads. Exactly. As they're getting. That's why I know it's not the government doing this. The government doesn't want me to flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. It doesn't want me to step into my personal power. So that's how I know it is not human beings that are staging these. If you have, maybe, maybe if you have a, a kind of um, experience where uh, it's, uh, um, you're not getting uh, nurturing information. Um, maybe possibly they are faking these experiences, but these experiences are more than 3D. Yeah. There is like this whole, you're in this whole different dimension and all kinds of other things are happening. And so the government can't create those other dimensions. It's going to be a strictly 3D, mm-hmm. uh, very um, surface type of interaction. It's not going to be a real ET contact. There's a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up because that is one of the things that we talk about with Dr. John Hall and uh, Robert Duncan about targeted individuals and targeting technologies. You will know when it's not your voice, when it's not your inner voice, you'll know. It's negative. Um, yeah. It's, you have to fight it's it. It's negative. It's destructive. It's, it's you not something it. that's wanting to further you in life. And this, this is the same thing. And that, that's why I wanted to bring that up was that you'll know it's a genuine experience because it will be something that makes you want to do other than, you know, it's something that will, that will move your life in a positive way and will make you want to, make you want to spread love and change. And for what happens to yeah. a lot of experiencers, they all of a sudden they become much more empathetic and sympathetic. Uh, many of them also become much more creative. They become artists or musicians mm. or they allow their creativity to come through. Uh, and uh, many become vegetarians because they become very sympathetic to these animals. Why do we have to torture these animals mm. just to eat their flesh, to eat their skin? Why are we doing that? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, the information is let's all love each other and we're all connected. It's this huge, huge, uh, download of connection. I'm connected to you. You're connected to me. The way I feel is going to affect the way you feel and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just it. We, as we talk about on this show regularly, as I talk about whenever I'm on shows discussing my, my therapy music. And and binaural beats. We we are all frequency right now. You're in North Carolina. I'm here in Austin, Texas. By all ninth grade science, we are sharing an electron shell, Sev. <laughs> we are we are literally vibrating right next to each other without being in physical presence. That's right. We we are ninety percent empty space. This is all agreed upon illusion. Mm-hmm. You know, um, e- even the idea of time like that. That's an agreed upon 60 seconds is a minute, you mm-hmm. know, of science that that's not an actual thing in the universe. Mm-hmm. So like the time is not a universal law. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a construct that we gave. And yes. and once you start realizing those things, the whole world is different. That that is once again, as Earl uses that that point of ontologic shock where where once 
the things that you once defined reality by cease to be. Yes. And if you use that very special moment to, um, I don't like the word better, but I'm going to use it to better yourself. Mm. Uh, It it is um, what I call a very ripe space uh, for manifestation. You can almost like start from scratch. Wow. And when it's your our, mind and your belief system in creating your life. In our last few it's minutes. It's an opportunity uh, to kind of like a do-over. Yeah. In our, in our last few minutes with you, how do people start making those steps? Somebody's already had the experience. Somebody has already accepted the experience in their life. How do they start moving that experience forward in their life? How do they start taking the next steps to that personal transformation? Well, how are they feeling about it? If they're feeling like there's a lot of fear or a lot of worry or anxiety, then Mm -hmm. talk to somebody, talk to me, find somebody to talk to, um, email me, go to my website, find me. Uh, There's a few other people who are doing this work, too, but there are very many of us. Uh, And um, it's time... If you feel that you don't want to live like this anymore, that you don't want your, you just, it feels like there's a cloak on you or it feels like there's a blanket on you and you just can't be your real self because of this, uh, then it's time to reach out to somebody. That's the first step. You have to reach out to somebody. And uh, there are a few of us in the world that you can reach out to that will listen to you without judgment. You be very careful who you reach out to. If you don't think you're going to get support from family and friends, do not go to them first. Do not go to them first. You might not be able to go to your family and friends until a few years later, Uh, but do not go to them first. Go to who you know is not going to judge you. Get it off your chest. That's the first step. That's that's huge. And 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 yeah, it can be uh, just thinking about it and thinking about the number of people I know. Um, that that are stuck on that step, Sev, from their experience. Oh, uh, they don't have to be. Yeah. They don't have to be. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. And I mean, I I remember, uh, I remember my first moment of that that I still deal with. Um, I I don't think you ever stop dealing with that first moment of ontologic shock. That first moment where the world around you changes, and whether you wonder whether or not you can explain that moment to anybody. Um, I got, I got chills while you were talking and I had your website up and kind of glad I had your website up because I started weeping. Um, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not no, easy. right. Because I was telling you that this uh, TV show was at my house all day long a couple Saturdays ago. And so I was explaining um, my uh, the two X's that were burned into my back. This yeah. happened uh, six years ago, yeah. th- five years ago. And while I was telling the story, I started crying and I really surprised myself because as I was telling the story and the cameras looking right at me, I went there. And I had those yeah. feelings of fear and those feelings of complete confusion and fear and confusion when combined, you're in like in a suspended state. 
You're just suspended. You don't know who you are anymore. You don't know what anything is anymore. You don't even know what's real anymore. And that's yeah. such a scary, scary, scary place to be. You feel like you have no control. And so even though it's been uh, it's been six years, five years, five or six years, I'm still crying when I talk about it. It's that intense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, your your book has a copyright date of 2018. So, and and I I know I had you on the show shortly after it came out and it had been about, yeah, about a year and a half, two years um after your incident that you wrote that book. Um and and it's 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 incredible to know that people like you are out there, Seb. I I get asked all the time uh, by people in private messages after shows like this in, in emails from the website, all kinds of things of where can I go? And I am so glad that, uh, that you have privately, because you, you stepped up to the plate long, long ago, uh, with the experience or resource team. Um, I, and, and like I told you on the show, whenever you announced that, that it, it seemed like you were very much following your call as as far as what this was and what what you had assumed as your mission which was to share this message with as many people as possible and to share the message of healing and healing from this with as many people as possible which yeah. is so my goal is not only to help the individual but through the individual we shall help the collective that's, that's right. the ultimate goal yeah yeah exactly and you know we we have to raise that collective consciousness, Sev. To start that, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's just it. Uh, much much like any work like this, it starts at home. It starts with tilling your own garden, you know, and and making sure that the weeds aren't growing under the soil. So I I want to thank you uh, for your time today for talking right. about this. It's all it, it, you. We always have such candid conversations with you, and you are always so willing to openly talk about these things and openly share what the ERT is about and what the mission is about and how people can get a hold of you. I am so glad to see you carrying this forward in your personal mission and making it a personal, personal mission to help people privately. Um, before we let you go, let everybody know where they can go to contact you, where they can contact you for a soul session, where they can contact you for an experiencer session, Sev, and get get that one-on-one -on -one regular help that they truly do need. Thank you, Chris. Well, my book, You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens, is on Amazon. And my website is planetsev.com. My email is sev at planetsev.com. And on my website, you can see I have soul sessions, a private ET contact consultation. Tell me your ET story. Yeah, so I'm really easy to get a hold of uh, for a soul session or for uh, ET contact consultation. I also have a YouTube channel, Alien Spirit, with uh, Sev. Uh, I have videos on there about how you can raise your frequency and how you can make contact with otherworldly beings, because I do help people channel and I do help people make contact in the other realms. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sev, thank yeah. you as always for coming on, talking about this. It is it is such an important thing to get out there that there are places 
to get you help. There are places to find help. There are people like Sev out there. If you are an experiencer, yeah, Mufon. Oh yeah, absolutely. The Mufon ERT, you know, Mufon Experiencer Resource Team. That's that's. I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and and you know they are there to help as well. And uh, you know sometimes you need additional help. Uh, than than what a team can give you, and that is what people like Sev are here for. So, um, once again, I'm so happy to hear that you have moved forward with this as a private mission in that way, Sev. Um, because I've I've had numerous people contact me and ask me, and I've like you know contact the ERT, ask for Sev talk. She will help you. But to know that you are out there doing this privately now is beautiful as well. It's great. Thank you. I just want to say, if you contact the ERT, you might not be able to get me. That's true. They will connect you with whoever the ERT is locally. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much like any field investigator, though, you may have a preferred field investigator that you want to cover it. They're going to send you your local field investigator. Sorry, folks. Um, (laughs) If you're in North Carolina, chances are you'll get me. That's right. That's right. Um, Sev, thank you so much, as always, for taking the time. Uh, Hold the line while we close things out with the audience. While you are online checking out all of the amazing work of SevTalk, as well as the Experiencer Resource Team, folks, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com forward slash videos is where you can find all of the embedded video channels from YouTube of our guests. All you got to do is click their channel. Takes you right to them, folks. Uh, you can also go to CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy all of the books from our guests, including the amazing book, You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens. Thank you so much to Seb Talk, as always, for coming on, talking about this all-important topic. It is really a burgeoning topic out there that we need to pay more attention to, folks. Um Stay tuned through these commercial breaks. When we come back, we will be talking with the amazing Daniel Duke about his relation to the outlaw Jesse James, how he found out that he was blood relation to Jesse James, and what a possible treasure map found in his family has led him to and the wild experiences that he has had decoding this treasure map to possible treasure right here in the state of Texas. We will be talking about that with Daniel Duke right after this, folks. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, 
coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for staying tuned through that commercial break. Thank you so much to our guest, Sev Talk. I always love talking with her. Her work on the MUFON Experiencer Resource Team is so entirely important. The idea of being able to help people through their traumas, being able to help people find their way uh, when they are lost and it's, it's just so such important work. It's fantastic. So thank you so much, Sev, for coming on as always. Our guest in this segment is the amazing Daniel Duke. He is the author of Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. Uh, and he is actively a distant relative of Jesse James. Welcome back to the show. Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and thanks for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely, man. It's always great to chat with you. I mean, you live right up the road. Next time you're, I was telling my wife earlier, I was like, you know, I don't know why I didn't just say like, hey, what are you doing at 2.30? Like, why don't you come by the house and just come be on the show? Uh, <laughs> instead, we're doing cool. it via phone. But next time, you definitely need to come in studio because you are just right up the road. Um, yeah, not that far from me right now. I'll be there in probably 10 minutes, probably (laughs) before, probably before we're done with the interview. Um, and uh, you know, uh, it's great having you right in our backyard. And a lot of people do not realize the connections that Texas has to Jesse James. Um, and, and the fact that Jesse James probably did not die the way that history says he did um he lived much longer uh he lived here in texas and probably left a treasure map behind as well so uh let let's start at the beginning of all of this daniel how did how did you come to find out that you were blood relative to jesse james to begin with well, my late mother, Betty Dorset Duke, um, she she grew up hearing the stories, you know, family stories at Christmas and birthdays and other get togethers that Jesse didn't die, faked his death, moved to Texas. And he was her great, great, her great grandfather. So, uh, you know, she'd heard that all her siblings heard it. Every, and it, that was always, you know, it was just passed down through the family, the same story. Mm. And then um, she always wondered. But then she'd. She said, you know, you go to school, you read a history book or you watch a movie like The Long Riders or any other Western with Jesse James in it. And history always had it that Jesse was shot in the back of the head by Bob and Charlie Ford. And that was the end. But so she wanted to know which story was right, the family story or 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 the historical traditionally accepted story. And um, once my sister and I got started college. Mom had more time on her hands, so she started looking. She went to, you know, the Texas State Archives, different places, doing genealogy, years of research, and found out that 
it looked like it, when she found the photos, uh, that really helped. There was a lot of photos passed down through the family. She, we looked at the photos. She did. Um, and I'm starting to get ahead of myself. I start, it's like a million different stories. Um, it all tries yeah. to come out at once. So, but anyway, she started, she found proof with census records, documents, birth and death certificates matched with the diary, uh, Jesse's diary that was passed down through the family and found proof that it looks like he, he didn't die like history said. And, um, but we had our photos and we, she, she wanted X, she knew that if she was going to go further with this, she needed to get experts to prove whether our photo, you know, to, to tell us whether our photos were the same people or if it was, or if it was just in our minds, because they bore a strong resemblance to us, but we wanted experts. So she went to the Texas department of public safety, you know, our version of the state police went down to the headquarters, uh, their forensic lab, and they verified that our photos matched the, the historically accepted photos of Jesse, not just Jesse, but also Jesse's mom, um, my mother's great great grandmother would have been Jesse's mom. She met our our photos of her matched the photos of Jesse's mother. Even the same dress, the same print on the dress, the same arm missing, everything about them matched. And uh, it just kept going from there. There was a couple others that matched, but we were concentrating on Jesse. Same scar on his face. Uh, mm. She went from Texas Department of Public Safety to the Austin, the Austin Police Department Photographic Forensic Lab. William McCann at the time was the head of that. And they verified that our photos matched. And then she went to a third group called Visionics. It was a company in New Jersey, I believe. Uh, they were the world leaders of facial recognition technology at that time. And then later on, they sold. Now they're, I think, the last I heard, they were now called identics. But anyway, they also verified. And once we had verification from three experts, three, you know, of, of some of the best experts we could find, we we went forward with it. And uh, mom contacted the James Farman Museum in Missouri, thinking they would be excited to know this. That was the last thing they wanted to hear. They were rude. And that was when all the troubles with that with the that group started. It ended up uh, mom wouldn't quit. They were trying to shut her down on public forums and things like that. And uh, it ended up uh, it ended up with them, not not the James farm, but people associated with them sending us death threats. It was about a half dozen people in total. And the FBI put a stop to it. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, you know, um, that that is quite literally one of the many things that we have talked about previously, uh, Daniel, is the idea that uh, these communities, especially communities like that, like Salem, Massachusetts, it's one of my favorite communities in the world to visit. Um, yeah. But their money's made a certain way. And <laughs> if you change the dialogue of Cotton Mather. If you if you start changing the dialogue of the pressing of Giles Corey, you know, oh, um, yeah. these things that are integral to the history of this place, of this town. Um, and once again, like we've mentioned before, that that town that Jesse James was supposedly killed in, like that's pretty much their bread and butter. 
Like, it, yeah. it's not it's not like they got like 28 amusement parks up around the place, you know, things like yeah. that. Like they make their tourist dollars off of this is the house where Jesse James was shot. Exactly. You know, it's a lot of money. And, you know, it, and I remember what was it? 1999 uh, found out. I was curious about it. Hmm. We checked into uh, just the museum that's down the road from St. Joe in Kearney, yeah. Kearney, Missouri, and found out they brought in at that time. It was seven million dollars a year from tourists around the world. And, you know, they yeah. people happen to be in the area. They drive up to check it out. They pay their their money, go on the tour and leave. And it was seven million a year. And I thought I think that worried them more than what we realized it would. Uh, it was the money, especially where Jesse was said to have been killed, like you had said. Yeah. Uh, that 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 would render that house nothing more than just part of a lie. Well, and and you know, um, how how long had it been? You know, did it did it occur there? Uh, you know, how how long have they been claiming that and been making money off of it? Like uh, the the rabbit hole goes deep quick. When it yeah. comes to that kind of stuff. Now, the fact that, like, the federal government actively had to get involved because of threats made against you and your family. That's remarkable, yeah. man. That is that is absolutely wild. And I, I remember uh, there there was a part where where you and your mother were making regular trips to the library just right up the road in the, the archives here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, State archives. When when an actual member of the the Texas Rangers came up and was like, you you need to slow down on this part. Oh, no, he wasn't a Texas Ranger. Um, this guy, his name was Jay Harrison. OK. And uh, well, I'm and sorry to, for getting that me, wrong. And for let me back that. up. Let me back up a little Please. bit on this. Um, we were going to the state archives. I'd drive mom down there and we'd both scour census records, everything we could. Yeah. All the microfish spend hours most of the day every time we went down there we got to where we were going one two times a week every week and uh it, and you know you get on a roll you don't want to stop you have to find more so we're, we're we're we were on a good roll we had all these names um anyway so we're going to the archives on a regular basis every time we go in we'd sign our name and we knew the head librarian there is David Baskins. He's he's now passed away. He passed away shortly after that. Anyway, uh, he told us one day, he said, don't don't sign the book. And mom said, what? And he said it. He whispered it. Um, and I thought this is odd. But, you know, we we yeah. were so naive at the time. That was our first contact with strange, you know, act, strange behavior like that. Mm. Um you know, we, we, well, mom said, why, why don't you want us to sign in? He said, they're watching. And I said, who's watching? And he just turned around and went and sat back at his desk. And I thought, okay, we won't sign in. So we walked, found out these two men, there were two men staring at us. One was older. The other was younger. Um, they were both staring kind of, and it was, op you know, when you look and they look down, it was kind of like a cheesy mm. movie scene. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd look up and they'd look down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I laugh about it. And the funny thing, it's funny you brought that up because I was talking with my sister about that the other day. That still, after, let me not go down that rabbit hole yet. Okay. Um, that one anyway. So they're watching us. We leave, they leave. Then the next week, same thing happens. 
he they finally came up and introduced himself. Uh, the older elderly man was Jay Harrison, and his sidekick was a younger man named Jeff Adams. And uh, Jay Harrison was a former police officer with the city of Dallas, and he would he for some reason it was important to him to tell us that he was two blocks away when JFK was assassinated. And then uh, then he went on to tell us that he was a first cousin to President Bush, Bush Sr. Um, and I thought, OK, I don't know what the ties are here, but, you know, you remember things over the years. You start piecing things together and it gets a little weird. And that's where you go down a lot of other rabbit holes. But yeah. uh, so he tells us that his sidekick, Jeff Adams, says, I'm a house painter. And that's all he said. And I thought, OK, you know, so you paint houses and that's that. So uh, they sat down. They, he's, Jay, Jay did all the talking, the elderly man. He said, we just want to let you know that you're not you're not you can you can prove who your grandfather was. Just don't mention any names that tie in with the Texas power structure. And mom, my mother and I, you know, we're we're just average people We mom. Mom said it. I was thinking the same thing. She said, who's the pe- Texas power structure? And he said, he just kind of laughed and said, you'll find out when nobody ever came to us, even to this day, no one has ever come to us and told us we're part of the Texas power structure. You know, yeah, yeah. Nope, I don't think they would do that anyway. But uh, so we were like, OK, fine. The next week uh, we were there. They were both there again. And uh, Jeff Adams told us he wasn't a house painter. He's actually a researcher for the Texas State Bar. And I, I thought, this is weird. Why'd you lie to us about being a house painter? And now you're telling us you're this. So he gave me his business card. I said, well, you told me house painter last week. So do you have a card? And he handed me his card. And when I got home, I checked it out on the internet and it, it added up. He had, there was a, his picture on the Texas State Bar's website, which now I can't find any trace of. I don't know. Oh. I, I, I don't know what that's about. But at the time, he was on the Texas State Bar website, and he was – I remember there was a picture of him wearing a yak mantle when he was in the – oh, God, I, I don't even remember where that's at. He was wearing a yak mantle that some natives gave him as part of some kind of trip he took for goodwill or something. Um, okay. Long And I'll just throw this out there. He's also tied in with – I think Baylor University. I know the Baptist Church for sure, mm. but that—that's a side topic that I still don't. It's—it's it, it's, it, it weird. Yeah, that's just it. That's the whole point: is that you doing casual research into your family's connection to yeah. one of the most—I'll uh, say famous, not even infamous. You know, people like yeah. Bugsy Siegel are infamous. You know, people like yeah. uh, you know Scarface is infamous. Uh, like yeah. Jesse James is famous and quite literally considered a a an American Robin Hood in many yeah. aspects, especially to the people of his home state. Um, but once again, the the story of his death may have been greatly exaggerated. Um, oh, and yeah. greatly exaggerated on purpose. Uh, and the fact that your, your mere investigation of your familial connection to Jesse James led to that crazy encounter at the Texas State Archives where they're like, 
research that connection all you want, but don't be don't be digging too deep, you know, yeah. um, because the the critters that come out of the hole you may not like. Um, that's, yeah. that's a that is a <laughs> wild caveat just being thrown at you as you're doing casual research. Because like you said, once once you kind of start finding the honey holes in archives and things like that to go back to, it's hard not to want to be there every day. Um, just yeah. pulling data and seeing how far it goes. Um, well, and, you know, and, and he would meet us. Well, he wanted to show us a grave out at the Texas State Cemetery. Mm. And mom said, I'm, I'm not meeting you at a cemetery. And uh, he he laughed and looked shocked and said, "Why not?" And she said, "I I don't we don't know you. You've lied to us once. You know Jeff did, mm. telling us he was a house painter. Which uh, and and I'll get remind me about house painter later. Sure. Um, anyway, so so we finally he talked us into it. We went out and met him. We were standing near an empty grave, well, an open grave that was ready to have a coffin in it. And I thought, my God, he mentions Texas power structure. He's talking weird. They're following us. Why are we standing next to an open grave? And even though you're in the middle of Austin, there's really nobody there in the cemetery. They could have, if they wanted to, they could have shot us both and dumped us in the hole and filled it in. But luckily that didn't happen. But, you know, people start acting that way and you start wondering. It makes you a little paranoid. And um, anyway, so they were following us. He 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 mentioned some stuff at the Texas State Cemetery asking weird questions like uh, was so and so gay. And my mom said, I don't know. I don't care. Was he? Yeah. You're the, why would what you the... ask me a question like that? And he would look shocked that she was actually talking to him with that tone. <laughs> So we finally left and that was the last time we ever saw him. Um, and, and, you know, we kept, we remembered the warning. Don't, you know, don't mention the yeah. Texas power structure, but just that warning alone tends to skew. It doesn't skew the research, but it skews what you let out. You're never sure. Should I say this? Should I not say this? And I think that was the whole point of them meeting us. They wanted to make us nervous. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even if it was the fact of, uh, because there, there's been rumors of treasure of Jesse James for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, there are, there are rumors, of course, that he, he had, uh, buried treasure from, uh, from a payroll robbery in Muscle Shoals here in Texas. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, uh, I mean, Quantrell's writers were tied to North Texas, um, all kinds of things. And uh, to think that, uh, there was maybe another group of treasure hunters or something like that, trying to scare you off of a trail. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. These, these people were tied in with like the, you know, the state, Texas state bar, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the head librarian, David Baskins, who warned us a couple of months later, committed suicide. We always wonder, did he or or I don't know. I mean, it's just weird stuff. Well, um, when, and when then, you're then talking, knowing that the head, yeah. the head librarian at the Texas State Archives was scared of those two men. Like they he knew to whisper, keep his mouth shut. And yeah. war- he warned us and he turned around and went went away and he didn't want to talk about it ever again after that warning. So that that 
adds a little more weight to it, like they're not just treasure hunters, or maybe they were treasure hunters with power behind them. Well, so a few months, a few yeah. months down the road, um, wagon or car, former attorney general mm-hmm. for the state of Texas, contacts us. Now, the weird thing about that, uh, Jay Harrison kept talking about JFK and how he himself was two blocks away when it happened. And uh, then, you know, Wagner Carr, he was part of the state investigation. He was the head of the state investigation on the assassination of JFK. Um, He and this this didn't happen overnight. It's piecing things together over time. But uh, Wagner Carr was interested in Jesse James and the treasures. So he would call mom constantly. He had his driver come out and take my mother and I to three locations where large treasures, gold, mostly gold, some gold, some mm. silver, but mostly gold were were recovered. He's his driver was there at each recovery and told us that the Texas Rangers oversaw the recovery of those gold catches. Well, the like one over near Georgetown, Texas. It was that was the first one she showed us, the driver. She said that um, there were several 18 wheelers making several trips a day for several days, unloading gold from that that site. And I thought, my God, I said, that's more gold than Jesse James ever robbed. I mean, just one trip with a with a help. You could just even a pallet of gold. They never even robbed officially that much gold so where did all that gold come from and how was jesse in involved with that another story real quick around the same time wagner Carr was talking to us um there was an old man named george roaming he was a 32nd degree freemason um when he was a kid he was about 10 jesse was an old man uh in his 80s well yeah in his 80s actually late 80s, early 90s, when George was about 10 or 12. So George lived near Jesse. Jesse hired George and swore him to an oath and hired him to help him move six. It was 700 bars of gold in a large dray. It's a it's a large wagon. Uh, According to George, each of the bars weighed about 15 pounds and they moved the bars 20 miles. They buried it. Uh, George drew a map for us where it was. We went to go look for it. It's on Fort Hood Military Reserve. We're not, we're, you know, we're not that crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you're not, so, you're not yeah. digging in there. I like living and I like breathing free air. So, you know, anyway, <laughs> so, but it was good to know. And, and that helped us a great deal. It helped me a great deal with the treasures and the treasure template because the three sites, uh, Wagner Car showed us. And the one site George Roaming showed this, when I I was trying to figure, I was working with this template for years. People called it the Knights of the Golden Circle template. I don't believe it was Knights of the Golden Circle. I believe they're the ones who get the credit for that. But I think it's a Masonic. It it comes from Masons and it goes further back in my first book. I, I believe the template and its design dimensions and everything about it tie in with the Knights Templar. Um. I mean, it, it, the template design is on the western door of the church, uh, the Temple Church in London. And I, I go into that in more detail in the first book. But um, anyway, knowing those four locations, I put the template, I made a, a transparency, overlaid it on Google Earth, 
and it matched perfectly. It finally, I finally had the dimensions of the template. Years later, I found out there was more than just that. There's a large, medium, and small template. They all work together. They've got deep esoteric uh, meanings, the dimensions, the size, the shape, everything about it basically ties in with the Kabbalistic tree of life. And it's not, you know, it's a Jewish Kabbalah, Christian Kabbalah, and occult Kabbalah. They mixed elements of all three of those into the template and everything about it. Which tells me, I think that the treasures that Jesse was involved in, Jesse was, he was famous. He was a big part at his time, but he was just one cog in a huge wheel that goes back centuries. Um, like in his diary, he stayed at a man's house. And I feel like I'm, if I'm jumping all over the place, let me know. No, no, um, you're good. In his diary, there's mention of, uh, uh, a robbing trip they went on. They went from, you know, from Texas up through Shreveport and then down a river boat. And then back, they got off the boat in Nacogdoches and went actually Natchitoches. There's mm. Nacogdoches and then Natchitoches or Natchitoches. Yeah. Anyway, they got off the boat on Louisiana, on the Texas side. Then they crossed the river onto the Louisiana side and rode north. And stayed at a man's house, and he wrote the name down. I researched every name he ever wrote in the diary we have. The guy's name was Gervais Fontenot. So I thought, who was this Gervais Fontenot? Found out he was a retired U.S. Marshal at that time. And I thought, why the hell is the James Gang staying the night with a retired U.S. Marshal? It didn't make sense, but I thought that's what happened. And uh, so so I, I thought, who is this Gervais Fontenot other than a retired U.S. Marshal? I found his family had done a really detailed family tree guess who his uncle was jean lafitte the pirate wow. gervais fontenot's uncle was jean lafitte who actively defended <laughs> the gulf of galveston yeah. Um, yeah. there there and is as as you cross from houston to galveston over the bridge yeah. there's there's a sign that says you know historical marker and if you go it and I, talks about yeah. how jean lafitte defended that area yep and on the grand lodge of louisiana's website they were i, I found a story about jean lafitte he had had masonic before andrew jackson was a president he, had, he and um jean lafitte had masonic communication you can't have masonic communication unless both parties are a mason That's so right. that shows jean lafitte was also a freemason and that ties in Jesse James was a Freemason and all these people I found, you know, over the years, we found out George Roaming, who told us he was a Freemason. Freemasonry was a common denominator in this entire mystery. And I wanted to, to go, you know, you, you, you can only go so far. Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I ended up becoming a Freemason, not solely because of that, but that did play a big part in it. Well, you, um, you know, I, I, I have, I have, looked into that as well simply because it is it is the path of the searcher you know and yeah. and the idea of looking for the capital t truth and light in all things and That's true. you know once again yeah to to look at that treasure map to look at um the images that are there uh those those are entirely based on the tree of life um, yeah. even, like even the circle with the dots and the overlaid lines and the square like that, that in and of itself is sacred geometry. 
Um, That's true. So these things were embedded in all kinds of ways. And yes, there were numerous pirates that were were Freemasons that were also oh, yeah. possibly tied to the Knights Templar, uh, which is one of the big reasons why they used the skull and bones uh, as that, one of their symbols on flags was the whole tie to the Knights Templar and, you know, uh, paying reverence to the beheaded John the Baptist. Um, yeah. All kinds and a of lot things. of Masons still use the, uh, they call it the Memorimento. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm a fourth degree knight. Of I'm sorry to display this in public, brothers, <laughs> but Memento Mori Viva Jesu. Uh, Memento Mori Tempus Fugit is is yeah. the the phrase used by the knights of columbus um if you ever see knights of columbus stuff with the skull and bones memento mori tempus fugit uh time flies remember death and yep. is what that means and it's basically the idea of remember what you leave behind the only th the only way you are immortal is through what you leave behind and through the legacy how how will people speak of you when you were gone is is that's memento true. mori tempus fugit that's you know yep. are you always putting your best foot forward are you always doing what's right for your fellow man are you always you know trying to bring truth or scandal to a situation those kind of things um and and that's and what those things are yeah. a reminder of um yeah and a reminder to make hay while you're here because that's, that's right. coming that's right. And, and, and you have no idea. And these, these are things that, yes, are used by numerous secret societies to, to bring these understandings esoterically together, uh, but also to use them as a language, uh, yep. for, for speaking to people unspokenly. Um, and that, that's the other thing when it comes to symbols, uh, when I was reading Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma, oh great! Uh, there, <laughs> that's a long read, a and it's not an one, easy man. read either. But uh, he, yeah, there was there. He said a lot that I liked, but there was a lot that I didn't like. But that's just you know, I'm not going to judge him anyway without getting into that. He uh, <laughs> he was talking about symbols. He said the beauty of symbols is that they can have multiple meanings. Yeah, and and that that just. It, it always makes me wonder everything I found about the, the treasure templates, the esoteric meanings behind them, the tree of life. Does it keep going? And that that I don't know if it was just him planting a seed to make people keep looking, but I never feel satisfied anymore. That, that's too, the point. I would of, find something. <laughs> that is the point of the unfinished pyramid. It's true. You are never finished. Never. There's and, there, and, there, and I, I, I always forget which rank it is. I think it might be, I think it might be the 13th degree or something along those lines where, where you literally find out destructively that everything you have previously learned is totally a lie, totally yeah, false. Yeah. And they're it, intended to deceive you because if this is as far as you wanted to get, that's all you deserve to know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's that like, is wow. exactly right. Um, and, but, and a lot of people just stop. They find they're like, okay, I'm satisfied with that answer. It's great. I'm happy, and they move on. Yeah. And that that they're the ones who I don't know. Well, I guess and, ignorance is bliss. That's where that falls in. But um, it it just 
it can be frustrating, but it's also addictive. I don't want to stop looking. I no. don't want to stop searching. No, no. <laughs> I got I got five, like, almost five shelves full of books from guests searching, yeah. man. They're searching and I'm reading about their search and on the search with them. And I'll be darned if I'm not buying another bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I ain't gonna and stop that's a rare looking. thing these days. And I ain't gonna but, and I ain't gonna stop supporting people who are looking because that's yeah. the idea. Even people with the familial story that you have coming to the point of changing their own life and searching for things in their own life because this is this is just the road that it led them down. And you oh, know, yeah. even even the fight let's because we got about 20 minutes or so left with you. So let's, let's talk about real quick the, the finding of the map that you actively found, um, it, that, that belonged inside of your family that may actively yeah. lead to treasure, things like that. Because once again, you want to know why people might be making veiled threats, things like that. Like real treasure hunts get involved with that stuff, dude. There's oh, reasons God. why Never people hunting for the Ark of the Covenant. Don't don't you know, tell people they're hunting for the Ark of the Covenant. Every treasure hunt, not every, I shouldn't say every, but 95% of the treasure hunters I've met that we have met, and there's been a lot of them over the, the years, um, most of them seem like pirates. That That's I always laugh. It's like land pirates. Those guys, I wouldn't turn my back on them. If, if you found a treasure and you happen to be with them, I would never turn my back on them. And, <laughs> right. Uh, they get, they get, yeah, it's just a, it's like a, it's a weird group. It's exciting, but I don't want to be around people who might stab me in the back. Should I find something? And then I, I, I haven't been looking because, and I know this sounds corny, <laughs> People laugh at me. I've got friends who laugh at me about this. They're always, you know, that that national treasure with Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or or uh, what's his uh, Indiana Jones? Yeah. You know that belongs in a museum. That kind of thing. It uh -huh. actually, uh, what, I don't say it belongs in a museum, but there, people will ask, you know, what what would you do if you found one of those large treasures? Now, there's a part of me. Hell, I would love to live the rest of my life on a yacht and just travel the world and do whatever I want. But at the same time, knowing where those treasures came from, all the blood that was spilled over the years for those treasures, and it wasn't spilled in vain. There was a reason. I don't know exact. I don't know what the exact reason was, but I do. I've come to the conclusion that they brought it to the Americas, specifically the United States of America, because they meant for it to shine like a beacon, beacon of liberty and freedom. Yeah. I truly believe that, and I think that is what it's meant for. And because of that, I don't, I, 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 I guess you can't know unless you walk up on one or or find one what you're going to do until you it actually happens. Yeah. But I like to think that I would rather it just. I like having the knowledge of where it is, and I just walk away. Mm. But I would love to touch it, just just to touch some. You know, to find it, see it, whatever, and then walk away. Now, <laughs> with with that being said, like you, you have a map. Yeah, you, I do. You, you, well, and the map that map. came down through the family, um, that that one was it was so confusing. He had code that was easy to break, but it wasn't that. 
um, there wasn't any topographic markers or anything mm. that said, you know, it 40 paces from the old oak yeah. tree, dig there. It was just a geometric design with a lot of weird symbols and some crude drawings, but the geometric design, um, like in the code, he would say, you know, 1200 and gold here, so much over here, silver here. And it was silver and gold in all these mm. different locations. It was around Blevins, Texas somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. Actually, I think I know exactly where now. But uh, when I found the template, I think it the center of the template is right on top of his property. Wow. So I know it's on his property. I just, you know, the template, uh, that's when you're on Google Earth and you use an overlay and you zoom down, what's a tiny dot on the overlay turns into it covers a quarter of a mile. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. a lot of digging, but it's still, it's, I know the field it's in. And, uh, but that guy, owned, the guy who owns it won't let anybody out there to look at it. I, 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 you know, and you, you kind of have to, yeah, I can't uh, blame him. Even, even right now, you know, like, um, we're, we're getting ready here soon to have our, our good friend James Keenan, uh, who does research out on Blind Frog Ranch, things like that. Like, they're, they're, actively in there that's a prime example of this type of situation where they are actively on the trail of a treasure yeah and gold on their property and regularly are finding like hey look at this random 20 foot deep hole with a ladder in it that we found <laughs> what like was the name people, of the ranch blind frog ranch <laughs> that sounds similar to story that I have a friend. Uh, we've got a friend whose great, great grandfather bought what's, you know, the sunset ranch out near Lago Vista and Jonestown. Yep. It used to be huge. Now it's, it's been whittled down mm-hmm. by the government and the wildlife bird sanctuary and stuff. It's now, it's still 5,000 acres. It's nothing to yeah. sneeze at, but, uh, it, they've got holes in their ranch that, or three foot in diameter yeah. and they go down about 140 feet. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is like, they didn't dig these holes. Other yeah. people came on their property and dug yep. them looking for the same treasure that like, Hey, we own the mineral rights. It's not like you went out and bought like, you know, <laughs> Hey, we, we got a mining right, right? You don't have a mining right, right here. This is our property. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they're, oh, and they're that's just finding thing. like 20 foot deep holes that people have been digging for weeks, you know, yeah. things like that, because they're they're on the same trail, you know, well, and that that's some trigger. dangerous stuff, man. Like if it, no different than somebody cooking meth on your property, like, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, and it's actually in, instead of cooking meth and all that, it's it is gold. It's like yeah. it's no different than having pallets of cash. I mean, and people will kill for that. Hell, people kill people for 30 bucks. So, you know, for a bar of gold or several hundred of them, a lot of people wouldn't think twice about it. And some people even for the possibility of it, Daniel. Um, and that, that's the scary fact, you know, and, and that, that's the thing. And when you're talking about something, uh, because I mean, Jesse James was a member of the Knights of the Golden Circle. The Knights of the Golden Circle was a band. Well, he was alleged to be a member of the yeah. Knights of the Golden Circle. Just there's no there's no proof on that. There's no proof that Albert Pike was part of it. Yeah. But it yeah. it also wouldn't shock me if they were. I don't think that I they mean, were 
that unlike I don't think unlike Masons that they have an actual roll call for that yeah. stuff. Well, um, and I also know that Albert and Jesse were both Masons. Yes. I've often wondered if they didn't use the Knights of the Golden Circle as um well, like a decoy or a patsy. Sure. Sure. Absolutely, you know, and and that's just it. And when you're when you're talking about um a wealth in that in that range of things, um especially even um you know, the looted gold, things like that because that is that is a lot of what Jesse James did during the Civil yeah. War was was looting of union uh union trade routes, things like that. Uh, a yeah. lot of guerrilla warfare and stealing gold, bringing it, bringing it back across the lines. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, to to go secret that away until the heat's gone, you know, or to or to tell or or to pass information along so that a a passing cadre of people um, could well, dig and, it up. And then there's there's also you know I mean I know like Jesse did that he did all that during the war. Yeah. Uh, I know he wasn't allowed to, he wasn't going to, anybody who rode with Quantrell's guerrillas, Jesse and his family, um, they, they weren't granted amnesty. So they were still outlaws. They had a choice to make either turn yourself in and be executed or shot on sight. And he tried to turn himself in at the end of the war and got a bullet through his lung for it. Mm. Uh, and somehow he lived, he got away, he lived. Um, but so I'm not saying he was forced into it. I'm, in a way, he was. I mean, you only have a choice. It's kind of like the outlaw Josie Welsh movie. Yeah. Um, that's the closest I've ever seen it from Hollywood to that story. It, it uh, you know, the, the basis of that story is the same story Jesse and all the other Quantrell's gorillas lived. Um, so I, maybe they were part of the Knights of the Golden Circle. Maybe later he got turned or away from that. And into a bigger mission with a bigger picture that goes back to the Knights Templar. Um, and I think that may have been what happened. I, I know he, I doubt he was born knowing this, you know, or, or given that information while he was a child growing up. I think it all happened probably during the end of and after the Civil War with the Masons and yeah. the, the KGC. Yeah. But, Oh, I wanted to mention before I forget, please the uh, the uh, the house painter that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, gave the warrant. Said he was a house painter. That was a lie. Well, years years later, remember that movie that came out about Jimmy Hoffa not too long ago, The Irishman. Uh huh. What does he call himself in that movie when uh, Jimmy Hoffa calls him and says, "I hear you paint houses." Yeah, he yeah. called himself a house painter. Yeah. And I, after all the stuff we've been through, when I saw that movie, hair on the back of my neck stood up. I thought, oh, my God. Right. Does it, is that what he meant? I don't know. But it just that really it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But um, well, after we met, you know, after all of that, uh, talking about Wagner car, he, he had his driver show us where some large catches were. Yeah. Uh, we There was a guy who was called. He went by the name of J. Frank Dalton. He claims to be Jesse. He's been proven a hoax. I mean, he's been debunked. He was a hoaxer. But the guy did know about some of the treasures, their locations, some of the locations. And um, he knew a lot more than a person should have known about the James Gang. 
But he also claimed to have been a senator from New York, uh, Kit Carson, a whole bunch of different people. Yeah. And and he anyway, to make a long story short, that guy claims to be Jesse. There's still some people who who follow that. They follow him like he's Jesse. Um, so back in it was around 2000, they exhumed the grave in Granbury, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so we're there at the exhumation just because um, a reporter wanted mom up there. So we all drive up there. Plus, it's a part of history. Even though he was a hoaxer, he played a role in the story. So we went up there. We run into Wagner Carr. Wagner Carr's there. We also found out people, the people ex- exhuming the body believed there may have been treasure in the grave. And I think that's why the whole thing happened. But uh, oh. so we're up there. We see Wagner Carr. And then we are introduced to none other than Billy Saul Estes. He was. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of Billy Saul Estes. He's a one of the most famous or in, infamous con men in Texas or yeah. in America. He was selling non-existent agriculture uh, fertilizer plants to foreign investors back in the 60s, helping raise money for LBJ's campaigns. He was also said to have been LBJ's right-hand man or like a, a man in the shadows or his hitman. Yeah. Uh, ba- I'll just say it. The, we met him. He was a very nice man to our face anyway. He was very nice to mom. Mom said things. She just, whatever she thought came right out. Uh, he walked up through this crowd of reporters and said, do you know who I am, Miss Duke? And he, she said, I, I heard you're the guy who knew were the last guy to see Jimmy Hoffa alive. <laughs> And I thought, my God, you don't say that kind of thing. Hashtag chutzpah, <laughs> Mom. Like that. We're going to be dead. We won't make it out of this cemetery. My so God. anyway, he was real nice to her, wanted a copy of her book, signed, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then that was that. He never called. He wanted her phone number, but he never called. Hmm. But that's Granbury, Texas. We yeah. used to go to Mailbox, et cetera, down in Cedar Park, where you live. We used to go down there and mail packages regularly. And the lady who worked there knew us, you know, mom and her used to talk all the time. She would tell us Billy saw after we left two different times, Billy saw Estes would come in and mail a package. And the guy lived in Granbury. Huh. Why was he? Why? And, and we never even talked about that's that stuff to the John. lady at the mailbox. Et that's a big John. That's, a, yeah, it's that's really a, weird. That's far Just, more than a Texas minute of a drive. Yeah, that's you several know, out what for, four hour drive. Yeah, I was gonna say for those of you out package. there beyond the bounds of Texas, just so you know, a Texas <laughs> yeah. minute is an hour long drive. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it was just weird stuff like that. And then if you read up up on you know, there's Billy Saul. Billy Saul wrote a book about uh, LBJ, JFK, the assassination. Uh, there's a lot of weird ties. Uh, Wagner Carr was the head of the mm. Texas investigation into JFK, and he was also part of the Warren Commission yep. who investigated JFK. There's a lot of strange stuff that ties from this story into the JFK story, and I don't like – that's as far as I'll go in it. Yeah, it, That's as far as I will go into that rabbit hole. I've got enough on my own plate. Uh, if I had several more lifetimes, I'd look at that too, but – it's I mean, it, it, the the whole arc of the story, the few times that I've had you on the show, the I mean, I've read the book of uh, traveling, things like that. Like, it's it's a remarkable story, Dan. And and to know yeah. that 
you physically have a map. And and I've got to ask because, you know, we've got a few minutes left um, and my audience would be pretty ticked off if I didn't ask. <laughs> why no digging? Why Why haven't you followed the map? I have a little in the past i've followed not not that map just because that guy out in certain parts of texas you know if you get on somebody's property you might get shot and that's one of the kind of guy to do it the guy who owns that property is the type to do it so um yeah and there's i've been on other properties one of the biggest parts of treasure hunting when you try to do it with permission above you know alongside you know not against the law, but with the law, yeah. when you try to do it in a legal manner, people want to find out where it's at on their big ranch. And then at the last minute, the, oh, well, I'm not, my lawyer said it'd be too much liability if you got hurt. So we're calling it off. And yeah. I've never told anybody where it's at. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like they think you're so stupid. You're going to tell them, oh, yeah, it's right over there by that tree. Well, so- <laughs> well, you know, and it's it's also the fact of a lot of a lot of people don't realize that uh you know uh, even though it's been pulled out of the ground smelted and turned into ingot if it's under the yeah. ground uh gold is still just an element doesn't matter yeah. if it's been ingotized or not um if it's under the ground you may not own the mineral rights to it that um, that's true now like there you, are you can dig trove. it up all you, day long but the government can absolutely come and take it and go sorry you don't own the mineral rights and that is a rare earth mineral we're taking exactly it from you right. now you you can file a treasure trove claim and but if you do that what are you doing you're it's, alerting the government yeah, you're to shooting, what you what you think is there that's what happened to yeah, uh shooting Doc flares Knox. in the air yeah yeah and uh doc Noss out in uh Vic- New Mexico, Victorio Peak. It was mm. estimated three hundred. It was estimated three billion dollars in gold back in the nineteen forties. Um, it was illegal for Americans to own gold at the time, but he he filed a treasure trove claim, and I think that's what threw up a lot of red flags. He ended up shot in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, and I mean, there was I mean, there was the case of the family in. Uh, California that found jars and jars of 1800s silver coinage um, that that the government came and just, yep, and gold coins that the government just came and took. Um, Wells Fargo even tried to get involved. Yeah. They they tried to claim that that was robbed from them. Yeah. And that they had a they had a claim to it and that that didn't go over. The government gets it and you're lucky if they let you have a a small percentage of it. Yeah, uh, there was one in Pennsylvania. There's a guy, um, tre- group of treasure hunters up in Pennsylvania about two years ago. They mm. claim they found a large hoard. The FBI swooped in and took it from them. Yeah, yeah. And it, there, there was a lot of news coverage on that. I one. remember that so, one. I remember that yeah. one. And that, uh, of course, that's the FBI a- denies it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent they do. <laughs> yeah, like oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, well, you know, and and I can see, I understand wanting to preserve history, uh, oh, like Roman ho- hordes of Roman gold found in the UK. But the way the UK goes about it, if you find something, a hoard of gold or whatever, any kind of treasure, yeah. they get three estimates from different museums and experts, and they average it out, and that's they pay you cash. 
that way the museum gets the artifact or the, you know, the government, they get the artifact. It ends up in a museum and you've got cash. So it, that to me is a lot nicer way to deal with it than just taking it from you. Well, and that's just it. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yes. You do have a map. Like you said, uh, the consequences of digging are a totally different thing, you know, and, and even getting involved with digging is a totally different thing. And even, even trying to go and secure permits puts you on the radar of, people who may come find you at an archive and be like, Hey man, I don't know if you want to get into this. Um, like we were, we were at one pop up. Yeah. We, we went to my mother and I went up to, uh, Oklahoma and we figured out where one of the treasures in Oklahoma was. It's a large one. And, um, (laughs) we, we, when we got there, we, we got permission to be on the property. It was all above board. Everything was, you know, legal. Uh, we got there, found out it wasn't on that property. It was right across the road, just literally 40 yards away. Oh, and, and, and it matches an old map that was drawn. We had it down. We were just, we were on the wrong property. Wow. So we, wow. we got up there, we searched, we figured out what we needed to do. We, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't, you don't tell people, Hey, I'm going yeah. to look for millions in gold. No, no, uh, that's so, just it. So yeah. You we kept you it quiet. We didn't talk on the phone. We, you know, we, so we went up there, we come back. We were here not 30 minutes. The phone rang and a guy called a guy was on the other side of the phone telling us that isn't yours. That one is not for you. Don't go back to that spot. And you, he said, you, I know you were in Oklahoma. You, you were real close. That's all I'm going to say. But, um, but he also said that is not for you. Don't go back. And I don't, I know we, we ended up now we know that guy pretty well. Um, wow. I don't, talk too much about him because he's a real secretive guy he's the kind of person who can well, tell you things that's going to happen several days before you see it on the news and, and you that know kind of those are the kind of people that are involved with treasure hunting it's it's yeah. wild it's interesting I, um, I do believe they've got gov- there's government agents who scour treasure hunting boards and things like that I fully believe that I don't oh, doubt 100%, it percent and I think 100%. we bumped into one of them yeah I I do not doubt that no different than no different than they watch the paranormal communities um, and people yeah. with paranormal experiences, uh, especially well, repeated paranormal. I like researching it, but I also know that after I came out with the book, I mean, people knew before I even wrote the book that yeah. that happened in Oklahoma before I wrote the book. But uh, now that we've written the books, <laughs> uh, there's no way I'm not watched if, you know, if so, if I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, if any large amount of money goes into my bank account, there's a red flag. I'm I'm sure they're going to research it. So. Yeah. Well, uh, well. And, uh, you know, also just um, people in people in offices that dole out permits looking for it. Um, things yeah. like that. You know, um, those those things pop up and uh, yep. treasure hunters with deep, deep pockets have people like that who called them up. And say, oh, hey, yeah. somebody was looking. Uh, hey, yeah, just so you know, yeah, somebody exactly. else is interested in in what you were looking at. 
Um, yeah, it, you're exactly stuff. right. So, um, man, thanks so much for coming on as always. It's always a fun conversation. Once again, next time I've got to get you here in the studio. Um, Jesse uh, yeah, James, I'd like to drive down there. We could do the interview in person. Absolutely, man. And go out, have lunch, a beer, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, that sounds, that sounds fun. Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, folks. That is the first book by Daniel Duke. Uh, the second one is The Mysterious and Faked Death of Jesse James. Both of them amazing works, uh, that really tear into a lost part of history. Um, they're both available on Amazon. They are both available on CuriousRealm.com at our store. While you are online checking that out, everybody, make sure to stop on by CuriousRealm.com. Uh, like, follow, subscribe. That's where you can find all the episodes. That's where you can find our live events. We have tons of live events coming up. We will soon be at the upcoming Lone Star Paracon. Uh, in in Shirts, Texas, right down the road. That is our first event of the year. We will be having uh, a super duper time there, having some great conversations. So join us for that. Join us for so much more right there at CuriousRealm.com, everybody. Remember, open hearts, open minds. That's what it takes to have conversation. And without conversation, we do not move forward as humanity. So take care of yourselves, take care of each other and stay curious, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the curious realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics and hidden truths. Download the official curious realm app and view the knowledge vault on our website, curiousrealm.com. Follow us on social media by searching curious realm. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast services, as well as YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV through the APR TV app, available on all app markets. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. And remember, the other side is always watching.